Well, hey there, and welcome to Online Worship. My name is Megan Honig. I'm the Associate Pastor here on staff at Crossroads, and it's so good to be in worship with you online today. We are continuing in our sermon series over the Psalms, um, and today we'll be in Psalm 32. So if you'd like to open up your Bible and follow along, that'd be great. I am reading from the NIV today, so um, you can go ahead and open to that, and I will pray, and we will get started. So let's open in prayer. Dear God, thank you for online worship and the um, ability to worship together, even if we are in different places. God, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon each one of us as we um, prepare to hear your word today. Um, Open our ears to whatever you have us to hear this morning, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we are in Psalm 32 this week, um, and so I will go ahead and read that for you now. So this is Psalm 32, 1 through 11. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my gro- through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. I love this psalm. It really captures the entirety of the gospel itself, really talking about uh, forgiveness and feeling the weight lifted off of you when you receive forgiveness from God, and then being joyful in Him and rejoicing in God. Um, So let's start at the beginning of this psalm and dig a little deeper into it. The first two verses say, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So if you know anything about the Psalms, David wrote these Psalms, and David was a king in ancient Bible times. And if you know anything about David, you know that he committed some pretty big sins when he was um, alive, including things like adultery. Um, And so David knew sin, and he knew what it meant to be forgiven. So we don't know exactly um, what sin David is talking about here in Psalm 32, but we know that he has committed some big sins, that he knows uh, what forgiveness from that feels like. And so David begins this psalm by declaring the state of um, those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and whose sins the Lord does not count against them. And David says that the people who experience this are blessed. And so I find it interesting that in this psalm, David uses so many different words to describe sin and forgiveness. 
Just in the first verse alone, he uses two, sin and transgressions, to describe sin. And he describes the act of forgiveness three ways in the first two verses. He describes it as forgiveness, covering, and being not counted against. So why does David use so many different words for sin and forgiveness? Well, I don't think David was using different words for no reason. Each of these words have a slightly different meaning to them. And maybe you've seen these words in the Bible before and thought they were the same, or maybe you wondered why um, these different words were being used, but um, they do have slightly different meanings to them. So I want to go over with those to you because I think it's um, really important to be able to truly understand this psalm and understand um, the depth of what it means. So in that first verse, it says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. So transgression is a little bit different than a than like just a sin. A transgression is a sin that is willfully rebelled against. So it's a willful rebellion against authority. It's defying authority. So it's like, you know that you're sinning and you know that what you're doing is bad, but you do it anyway. And these types of sins are usually repetitive. And I know we all have some sort of transgression in our life, something that we know is bad, but we do anyway. And then we have to repent and we know um, that we need to just get rid of that whole transgression, but um, we just can't figure out how to do it. That's what a transgression is. It is a willful rebellion against God uh, when you know that what you are doing is bad, but you choose to do it anyway. And so to be forgiven um, is translated from the Hebrew, and it just means to, to lift up, to bear, to carry, or to take. So it's when God takes your sin from you, and you no longer have it, and you no longer hold on to it. He forgives you by just taking it up from you, so you no longer have it um, on you. So that's forgiveness. And that first verse goes on to say, uh, blessed is the one whose transgression Transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. So the word sin literally just means to miss the mark or to not get it right. So it's um, like God has all of the things laid out in the Bible, what we're supposed to do, what's good, what's not good. And what's, when we like try to get it right, but we don't, and we miss the mark, that is a sin. And it also says whose sins are covered. So covered is another way of describing forgiveness. And to say a sin is covered points to a sacrificial blood covering of sin. So in the ancient world, the Jewish people used to, um, they were directed by God to sacrifice animals and the bloodshed of those animals would pay for um, their sins and that they would be made right with God through that, um, but didn't last for long because every time that they sinned again, they would have to sacrifice another animal. And it was just a never ending cycle, but it was something that God put in place um, before Jesus come came so that um, people could be reconciled with God uh, pre-Jesus. Uh, but because of Christ's death and where we are now, this means that um, whose sins are covered means that Jesus has already covered the sin, right? He has already come to earth and lived and died and shed that blood so that we could be reconciled with him. Jesus died for our sins so that we could live eternally with him. So blessed is those whose sins are covered because God um, has already sent Jesus to pay the price to cover those sins. 
then it also goes on to say in verse two, who sin the Lord does not count against them. So to say something doesn't count against um, someone and the translation in this in the Hebrew is more like a bookkeeping language. It just um, says to not impute, to not even put it in. It's like you're getting data into you, uh, but you're not putting it into the computer, right? It's just, it's like it doesn't even exist. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. God isn't keeping count of that score, that he's in keeping score of that sin. He just doesn't impute it, doesn't keep track of it. And so if you take those different um, translations and the deeper meaning of those words, you get something like this for the first two verses. And I love reading this because I think it just um, puts it more into perspective. I would say, blessed is the one whose willful, defiant, repetitive rebellions are lifted up by God, whose actions that miss the mark are paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not keep score and in whose spirit keeps nothing from God. I love that David uses such varied language about sin and forgiveness because I think it really helps to show the depth and the breadth of sin and forgiveness because not every instance of sin and forgiveness is the same. Sometimes we sin and do something small. We tell a white lie. We, um, I don't know, just like a small everyday sin, right? Um, we mess these things up, but these aren't the same as like a big sin, like adultery or um, using the name of God in vain or lying about something huge. And though this lang- through this language, I think David might be trying to acknowledge that though sin and forgiveness is sin and forgiveness, sometimes there are very different experiences of sin and forgiveness. And he's saying that with confession, there is, there, is, there is forgiveness for every type of sin. Every experience of sin can end in blessing when there is confession. So David goes on to verses three and four, and he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So David knew what it meant to um, be caught and stuck in sin. And in these two verses here, it describes how that sin and unrepentance affected him. He starts by saying, when I kept silent, as in David wasn't willing to confess his sin to God. Maybe he was living in denial that he had sinned, or maybe he was just buried in shame because of his sin, and he was too embarrassed to admit it. Can you relate to that at all? Have you ever been so buried in the guilt and shame of your sin that you are too embarrassed to even admit it, even to God? Or are you thinking of a sin right now that you are too embarrassed to admit? Maybe you have something now. Is your sin holding you in silence like it held David in silence? What about that sin is keeping you there, keeping you from um, confessing it to God to um, to receive forgiveness from him? It says that when David kept silent, 
When he kept his sin and shame to himself, his bones wasted away through his groaning all day long. David's sin affected him physically. The guilt of his sin was making him physically sick and wearing him down. He groaned all day long. Have you ever done something that you weren't supposed to do and then felt sick about it afterwards? Um, felt sick because you knew you weren't supposed to do it, but now you have this knot in your stomach because you just need to make it right, but you don't know how, and you just feel sick with guilt and shame about what you've done. I think that's what David is experiencing here. His guilt was just eating away at him. He ached as a result of his sin, and he felt the pain and distance from God in his state of sin and rebellion, and it really weighed on him and affected him in every way. He says, For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David felt God's hand of conviction on him. His strength was depleted like he was in a desert. He was dry because he didn't have the living water of God within him. He was miserable. He was full of conviction and guilt and shame about his sin, and it was tearing him apart. And note that the sin itself or the repercussions of the sin isn't what tearing him isn't what tear, what's tearing him apart. It's the guilt that the sin and rebellion against God is causing him to feel this way. That guilt that he has taken himself away from God is tearing him up inside. Deep down, Nate, David knows that he has messed up, and that's what's getting to him. And God convicted him and made him feel miserable because of it. Why? Because God wasn't going to just allow David to keep comfortable in unconfessed sin. God made David feel this way so that he would come to him and he would change. God let David's conviction and guilt consume him so that he would repent and confess and turn back to God. His sin needed to be made right with God, and God put that effects of that sin, that guilt, onto David in his life so that he would repent and be made right with God. And this reminds me of a book that I read in seminary about the mystery of physical pain and why God would allow his children to feel pain. I found it fascinating because this book explained the actual function of pain um, and what it does within our bodies. And let me tell you, pain is not for nothing. And after reading that book, I'm actually pretty thankful for it because when we experience pain, it typically points to something that is wrong within our bodies that needs to be addressed and fixed. When we break a bone, we feel pain to let us know that there's a, bro, a, bo, a bone that's broken that needs to be reset or put in a cast so that it can heal so that we can use our arm. The pain points us to a problem so that it can be addressed and healed. If we didn't have pain, we wouldn't know that our body is broken and that our body soon would become just unusable because they're broken. And pain is like an alarm system for our body that something is wrong. And that a pain alarm system is the same thing that I think God uses with conviction for our sin. 
Our sin makes us uncomfortable and we feel guilt and conviction, which leads us into confession and repentance. So David had been feeling this conviction and guilt from his sin and was making him miserable. And then we see in verse five what happens when David finally acts on that um, conviction and turns to God with his sin. Verse five says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The first thing it says that David does is acknowledge his sin to God. He finally admits that there is sin there, that he had been trying to avoid or cover up. He also says, I did not cover up my iniquity. David was finally open with God about what was going on. He's not trying to hide it or cover anything up, um, to cover up anything that he had been doing. He is finally open and honest with God. David confesses his transgressions to the Lord, and God forgives him. But what does it really mean to confess our sins to God? What does it actually mean other than just, you know, saying what we've um, done and God uh, forgiving us? We understand that part, but what does it really mean? And I love the way that it can be described as this. To confess your sins to God means that you are agreeing with God about your sin. You are agreeing with God about your sin. Confession is saying like, yeah, God, I know I'm wrong. I agree with you that I have been away from you, that I have done things that were not your will. And... um, It's just like you and God are finally on a level playing field where um, there's nothing to hide, where you agree that what you've done is wrong and that you need to change and do better and to stay in line with God and his um, will for you. And as soon as David repented and confessed, there was forgiveness. As soon as he agreed with God about the nature of his sin, there was restoration immediately. The confession of sin was the path to restoration and forgiveness and cleansing. David had to confess his sin in order to get the forgiveness and cleansing and joy that only God can offer. While confession is the path to forgiveness, I want to remind you that confession does not earn forgiveness. Nothing that we do can earn forgiveness. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, it is made available to us through confession. Confession receives what God freely gives, forgiveness and reconciliation to our Father. And when David confessed, he received forgiveness immediately. There was no waiting period, and we don't have to have a waiting period for our forgiveness either. God hears our confession and forgives us immediately. And notice this verse says that God forgave the guilt of David's sin. The guilt that he had been carrying for so long was lifted from him. He could finally breathe. Have you ever had an experience like this? When you finally confess something to either God or someone else, you just got something off your chest and you felt like you could finally breathe. It feels so good, doesn't it? And it's even better when it's God himself lifting the weight, 
removing that guilt and shame from you in a way that only he can do. Verses six and seven describe what this was like for David. Uh, Verses six and seven say, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. In verses six and seven, David is praising God and urging others to pray to receive the same forgiveness that God gave him and to experience the overwhelming joy that David now has because of that forgiveness. He talks about the rising of the mighty waters, that their rising might not reach them, And these waters represent the overwhelming guilt and conviction that David had been feeling about his sin. He's urging people to pray to God and encourage them that the overwhelming sin of God won't overtake them. The overwhelming feeling of guilt, excuse me, won't overtake them because God is good and he is the one that can wash it away at just a moment's notice. And then he goes on to say, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I love that contrast here. David had been avoiding God at all costs possible and hiding his sin from him. And now he's proclaiming that God is his hiding place where he is protected. I love that David addresses this, that God is a hiding place and a protector because so much of the world today thinks that God is quite the opposite. Lots of people are afraid of God. Um, Lots of people think that uh, because of what they've done that God absolutely hates them, that they've done too much to ever be loved by God. And still others think that God is far from a protector They see all the world's um, evil and wrongdoings and all the terrible things that happen and can't imagine how God um, is protecting it and would allow anything that's happening. But the truth is that God is a hiding place and a protector. We can come to him with anything, with no doubt that he will always love us. We know that in him we have an inheritance that can't be earned. Evil may affect us here on earth, but in him we are protected with the promise of eternal life. God is our hiding place and our protector forever and always, even when we've sinned and messed up. I am so glad that David knew that and he was able to express it in this psalm. Then he goes on to say in verses 8, 9, and 10, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the foes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. So in these verses of 8 and 10 about the mule, it's really God speaking through David saying that he will guide people. He will guide each one of us and counsel us with his loving eye upon us. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. And I think that each of us are a horse and a mule, really, if we admit it, right? We need God to be with us and guiding us all the time so that we can stay on his path. 
But the more that we come to know the Lord, the more that we know his word and his will for us, the more that God doesn't have to um, be with us all the time and controlling us because we know his will and we are more able to stay on the path that he has designed for us, the straight and narrow path, because we know God's heart and we just want to please him. He also says, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Those who trust in him, who follow his paths and his ways, have God's unfailing love on them, and they can trust God because of that love. We can trust God's teaching and counsel because we know it's good for us. We know that um, it has so many benefits that we can see in scripture. And finally, verse 11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all who are upright in heart. This is just rejoicing in the forgiveness that comes through confession to God. Rejoice in the Lord and sing to him. Because even though we mess up, we can ask God for forgiveness. And then we have the unending joy that comes from him. We no longer have the guilt and the shame upon us, but we can be just joyful that we are children of God who are set apart and receive the joy that only God can give. This psalm reflects the whole trajectory of Christian life, justification to sanctification, and then when we are delivered from the guilt and power and presence of sin, Rejoice in the Lord because he has a plan for you. The same joy that David receives when he confesses his sin to God is made available to us today. That deep breath, that relief, that assurance of God's love and goodness is waiting for us. If you want to experience that overwhelming joy that is found in confession and forgiveness, you can start today. Here are three things um, that I think that you can do in order to live into a life of joy that is only found in confession and forgiveness from God. So the first thing that you can do to live into that is to confess as soon as possible. Don't be like David who waited as long as he could before he confessed his sin to God because we see that on the other side of it is joy and forgiveness and goodness. So the longer that we wait in misery, in our sin, and in our shame, the longer we aren't with God in that joy and forgiveness that is on the other side. So confess as soon as you can to get that joy. There is no point in waiting and hiding from God because after all, he knows everything about us anyway. He already knows what you've done. You can't hide it from him. So confess as soon as you can so that you can live into that joy that God has waiting for you in him. The second one is to let God guide you. Don't be like the horse and the mule that needs um, guidance all day, every day, but lean more into God and trust in him so that you can um, stay on that path and you won't have to step off and confess but you can stay on it and receive the joy and forgiveness that only God gives. And the third is to rejoice in him. There are so many blessings that we receive when we confess our sins to God and we live in eternal life with him. 
There is unending joy. There is freedom. There is no more guilt or shame. And we can rejoice in that with him. Rejoice that you don't feel the shame of your sin anymore. And it's really important that we rejoice in it publicly so that others can see that there is joy on the other side of forgiveness. That's part of our Christian witness is to show others the goodness that is found in God. And if it means that we have to be vulnerable in confessing our sins to others and saying that we have what we have done in the past that we might be ashamed of, It's worth it if we can show people the joy and the goodness that is found on the other side of confession and repentance. Because in God, there is no longer guilt and shame. Every sin, no matter how big or small, can be forgiven by the grace of God. Don't let God, um, don't let your guilt let you keep from living in life with God. Don't let it hold on to you. Don't let it ruin your life. Instead, have the courage to confess your sins to God so that you can have the overwhelming, unending joy that is only found in Him. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we can come to you with anything. God, I just want to take a moment today um, for each one of us to confess our sin to you. God, we know that um, we sin against you every day and that it is human nature. But God, through confession, we can come further and further away from that sin and live into the joy that you have called us to live in. So God, send your Holy Spirit upon each one of us and guide us, help us to be more like you every day so that one day we are far from sin, that we are not captivated by sin anymore, and that we are captivated by your love and your will for our lives. God, be with us and fill us with your Holy Spirit and let us experience that joy of forgiveness. And God, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.